0: Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer podcast. It is November 8th, 2020, and today was the final day of the league season for Atlanta United because it was beaten at Columbus 2-1 today. Uh, It had to win and hope one of two other results went its way. One of those results did with Chicago losing to NYCFC but Atlanta United couldn't do what it needed to do uh, to secure three points and get to play in the playoffs for the fourth consecutive season. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. You can find me on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And I hope you'll consider subscribing to my employer, the Atlanta Journal of Constitution. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Longshore of SoccerDownHere.net and 92.9 FM. Jason, before I get into asking you your opinions on a few things, let me just do the quick housekeeping. Uh, Columbus scored the first goal in the 28th minute. Lucas Zilleran, we'll go into that in a second. They scored again, Jassi Zardis in the 55th minute. Uh, Marcelino Moreno answered for Atlanta United in the 59th minute with a penalty. It was one of three penalty situations for Atlanta United in the game and only one that went its way. But, Jason, just – kind of sum up how you think this whole season went because i think this game was pretty much a good example of atlanta united's entire season
1: yeah in a lot of ways it was um the margin was incredibly thin for atlanta united this year uh the joseph martinez injury is part of that there's just no way around it you're not as dangerous going forward so When things happen against you, whether it's a referee call, when things happen against you, whether it's your defense, uh, getting caught flat-footed like they did on the first goal, you know, the emotional swings of a match, all that stuff gets magnified. And it's really difficult because you know you're not dangerous going forward. You know, it's not a surprise to Atlanta United players that they're not scoring a lot of goals. So when things happen, that either take a goal away from you or take away an opportunity for a goal, or you concede one, it hits even harder. And that's how 2020 has especially felt down the stretch here. But it's, it's twofold for me because there are definitely calls we can talk about, and there are things that could have changed outcomes of games, that could have changed your point total. But you had opportunities in your own hands in multiple situations this season to not have to win in this match to get into the postseason, and you didn't take them. The Toronto game gets away from you at the end, you lose that point. The D.C. Mm -hmm. game gets away from you at the end, you lose that point. There were other games like that earlier. You didn't need to be in the situation where you had to go on the road to Columbus, who's been one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference all season long, and have to win on decision day. Crazy thing is you actually did get, as you said, the one thing, one of the two things you needed to happen, but you couldn't take care of business yourself because it's a huge ask. And yeah. that takes you back to the, 20, the nature of 2020. It's been one of those years that I hope we don't see again anytime soon.
0: No, it would be very nice to not see this again. Um, so just kind of going to, to riffing on my thoughts on how this was an example of, of 2020. Atlanta United, just three shots on goal, had a couple of penalty claims that I thought were legitimate and probably should have been penalties denied in the first half. Um, really not making their own luck or, or getting a benefit of making their own luck in those situations. Mentally switched off on Columbus's first goal. Mesa kind of, I think it was Mesa kind of lost Zellerian for a second. The second goal, nobody closed down Artur. He had a fantastic uh, pass that split at least two Atlanta, Atlanta United lines, the midfield and the defense, for Zardes to run on And then, you know, Atlanta United is trying to catch up to Zardes, but no one really, really closes him down, I guess, quick enough, and he's able to get a shot off. And what I thought was funny about that moment um, is just a few minutes before that, Barco had the ball and went down the left wing, Outran his, his teammates, which is, is fine. It's their job to keep up with him, not the other way around. Uh, but instead of taking on a defender, stopped, put his foot on the ball, and everything just stopped. And so the contrast between that moment and Zardes being aggressive and attacking the goal really just kind of stood out in my mind for a lot of reasons as to just how Atlanta United's season has gone this year. Um, so do you agree that both of the penalty claims for Atlanta United should have been penalties in the first half?
1: Yeah, um, I thought the Moreno one was live, saw a replay, immediately thought it was. Um, there wasn't a whole lot else even said about it, it seemed like. So I'm a little surprised that one was so quiet. I was glad that Stephen Glass brought it up in the postgame commenta- comments. Um, the one on Gallagher is just a total missed call for me on two different things. Uh, it was called on the field as a penalty you know that the video assistant referee in this case Hilario Grajeda, is going to look at it that's they look at everything he is looking for a clear and obvious error in the penalty being called there isn't one there isn't one it is a judgment call that the referee made and it is now being re-refereed by the video assistant referee that is not how the video assistant referee is supposed to be involved in a match. You can argue back and forth about contact and was he going down and this and that. The mechanics of the way it got overturned are against the way that video assistant referees are supposed to be used in this league. That's a massive problem. It's One thing where it's a call that a lot of people disagree with, but it's another where it shouldn't have even come up. Because there is no clear and obvious error there is a judgment. There's nothing else that Elphath needs to look at. Now, Ismail Elphath did go look at it and then he changed his mind. That's on him. He ultimately could have said, I had a good look. I saw everything I needed to see. And he must have been convinced that there was something he didn't see. But it's not a clear and obvious error. It shouldn't even come up. The argument about he's going down and, and, Whatever with that, he's hit by Aloy Room. He touched the ball past Aloy Room on the dribble. If he's not hit, we're playing a guessing game on if he can get on it and score an open net. That's a foul. You see that conversation come up about he's going down ahead of time when there's no contact. There's obvious contact. I, I just, I don't know how you can argue there's no contact, and I don't know how that gets overturned. But you add it to the list. And like I said before, and this needs to be separated. There have been numerous situations this season that have been very frustrating with referees with Atlanta United. And I think Atlanta United has some legitimate gripes about situations that happen Mm -hmm. with referees this season. Mm -hmm. They still had control in moments to handle other games better. And that's not why they missed the postseason. But we don't know what would have happened if Figal had been sent off and you had a man advantage for 45 minutes in Fort Lauderdale. Right. We don't know what would have happened here if that is a penalty and it is converted and Atlanta goes up one day.
0: Well, we know Atlanta United has yet to lose when it scores first this season.
1: Right. We, we know those things, but we don't know what would have happened because of the calls that were made. I, I thought the penalty that was actually called was the weakest of the three.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: I think it was a little bit of man. Okay, they've gotten to three here. We have to call something and let them take it, and they do. And it's it's just frustrating because I think Ismail Elfath is a very good referee. I think he will be a a top referee in this league for a number of years. I generally like how he manages matches. I feel like this one got away from him after that decision, and he struggled to to maintain the temperature of the match the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, the uh, both just my take on both penalties. They, they were both penalties. Uh, Marino was tackled uh, by Offal in the box. Offal uh, didn't get the ball. Got Marino's knee and leg and took him down. That's an easy penalty. The Gallagher penalty. He was slipping, but we see this call made all the time uh, as a penalty. And ironically, it drives me crazy all the time because you'll see the player push the ball well past the end line. No chance to catch up to it but gets taken out by the goalie or does the arch back fall as if he's hit by the goalie. And it's almost always a penalty for the attacking player. I can, I can think of maybe this time and maybe two others in my life that the call has not been made. Um,
1: I can think of times where it's not made, but in situations where there's not contact or not as much contact as there was here.
0: Yeah, it was just it was just it was the clear and obvious as you point out. Uh they got it wrong again. Uh and it's happened to Atlanta United uh a lot this season. Okay. Um, and you know, you can argue that well, in the first 3 years they got a few calls that they probably shouldn't have and this is all just it balances out. And that's true.
1: That's a lot of balance. But, but it, do, it
0: doesn't help them today.
1: No, uh,
0: it, it, it didn't help them today. Um so now Atlanta United uh, is – it won't play again until December 15th when and, – and you know the team is going to take it seriously, but it's facing a Club America team that has a 3-0 lead already in the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinals. And with Atlanta United's inability to score uh, this year, uh, it doesn't seem probable that they can overturn that deficit. And then there's all the rumors about when MLS is going to start next year. Um, And and there's still so many things that must be done. It's just it's going to be weird. Um, So, I mean, today's game, you look at it, Atlanta United only had three shots on goal, um, which is about par for the course for the season. team did create eight chances, uh, which is more than I would guess the season average is.
1: Oh, I actually had more than that.
0: Uh, was it ten? Ten seasons? Ten? Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't count. Ten chances created.
1: I had twelve. Oh, <laughs> uh, the
0: stat sheet has ten.
1: Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I was looking at a different. I wasn't looking at MLS, so there could have been some argument back and forth on if a chance was created.
0: Yeah, it was uh, more than more than typical. But when you can't put the shots on goal, I mean, it matters, you know, but. It's just it's it's difficult to win, and there are some bright spots going forward. Um, I thought Moreno played well again. I thought Jurgen Dom played really really well. He just got to get his fitness up, which will come. Yeah, uh, Gallagher
1: Dom really wrecked what we could have seen from him this year. Yeah,
0: G- Gallagher I thought was a pretty good striker today. All things considered, um, not his position that he would have with the team going forward if he remains with the team which is a whole nother thing
1: drew a penalty. I mean, that's the yeah, third one
0: this year. He's drawn. Um, but just a lot of, you know, this team has a lot of issues. It has a few holes that it's got to get filled or, and, and decisions that it's got, that's got to be made by Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra starting with who the next coach is going to be. And then we've got contract situations. uh I don't think there's an expansion draft because Charlotte got pushed back to 2022.
1: No, there is Austin.
0: Austin? There'll be an expansion draft with Austin. So there you go. I couldn't remember their date off the top of my head. Um, But I think that next year there's going to be quite a few changes to this team. And there needs to be. Um, Joseph Martinez does not solve everything. Um, There needs to be some more coming for this team, some more speed, some more creativity. Uh, some more tactical awareness, I think. We've heard Frank and Stephen Glass both kind of talk about that this year. Uh, but there's some very good building blocks. Uh, George Bello, heck of a year at left fullback, I thought. Um, Moreno played well, as I said. Jurgen Dahm played well, as I, as I said. John Gallagher, you know, the question for him is going to be, does he want to return? Because Joseph is going to return you got to think Barco's going to be moved and they're going to buy another DP who will probably be a left wing because otherwise where, where else is he going to be unless it's a, a, a DM and I don't see Atlanta United paying DP money for a DM. Um, so would Gallagher want to stay with Atlanta United? Uh, it's kind of the same question about Torres. I, I said Torres is likely gone and people are like, well, why wouldn't he come back? Well, number one, he's on a season-ending injury contract. Number two, if Martinez does come back, He typically plays every minute of every game. Torres is not going to get to play. Why why would he want to be in that situation? Um, It's a lot of questions like that that Atlanta United is going to have to wrestle with, and then as you and I were talking about before we started recording, a lot of these guys, specifically the guys from Argentina, their families are still in Argentina. They haven't been home since I'm guessing January, maybe February. With the Champions League game coming up in mid-December, they're not going to get to go home, I would imagine, because of the quarantine stuff, for the next month, maybe the team will allow them to. So it may be a year before some of these guys get to see their family. Stephen Glass talked about earlier this week that it's hard sometimes to keep – it was hard to keep the guys focused on training because they're worried about their families. They're thinking about the families because they haven't got to see them in so long. Ta-ta went a year without going to home to Argentina. He said that was one of the factors of his decision to leave at land United, was the ability to be able to go home and see his family a little bit more. It just, it wears on you. And some of these players, Escobar, Rometty, for example, may just decide, I need to go home. I need to be there. And at land United is a good franchise in that way. It would honor the player's wishes. They did it for Carlos Carmona Mm -hmm. uh, after the first season. Um, uh, you know, Dion Pereira got released. I think he wanted to go home. He had a, a girlfriend, I think it was, uh, back in England. Things like that. Um, but just because this league season is over, there's still going to be a whole lot of news coming out of Atlanta United. I think in the next two to three months, the CBA still has to be re ratified, um, which hasn't been done yet. Uh, and there's all sorts of things within that that Atlanta United can take advantage of. The young DPS. Uh, which still has to be ratified within the ratification. The details have to be ratified within the ratification of the CBA, um, <laughs> which Atlanta United could take advantage of. Um, you know, it's, it's a it's a very disappointing season for, for the team uh, and the players. That was obvious. It's been obvious throughout the year. Just little things they could not seem to get over. But the the future, I think, is going to be pretty good for the team.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... Positives uh, I'll take out of this year: the development of George Bello um, played the most minutes of anyone in M.L.S. under the age of eight, of of 19, anyone 2002 or born later, uh, and was very very good. It was his pass that created the should have been penalty for John Gallagher mm-hmm. today, and yep. it was his pass that. Created the penalty for Gallagher last week. Uh, Bello going forward, we knew he had that in him. He's proven to be a great tackler. I mean, George Bello is a uh, future U.S. Men's National Team player, in my opinion. I think the U-20 World Cup could be next for him. Uh, Brooks Lennon's addition, yep. I think, is a, a very, very good one. It allows you to play four in the back. Lennon can play as a right back, a right wing back, a, a right winger. He can play anywhere on that right side.
0: Arguably Constantly the team's MVP this year.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, Works hard on both sides of the ball. He he brings energy. I think he's still got room to improve as well. Brooklyn and really good pickup by this front office. And Jurgen Dom and Marcelino Moreno's addition to the team. Because those are two pieces that will be important going forward. You know, we didn't see the best of Dom. I think when we started to, he pulled his hamstring and never could quite get back up to full fitness. But he was dangerous and you know, probably 45-minute bursts. After that, it was, it was a, a stretch for him. Moreno, I mean, he hadn't played since March. It showed. Uh, he, he hasn't been as sharp as you would like to see, but he's been dominating these last couple of matches, creating chances, winning tackles, winning dribbles, pushing the team forward, and he's able to do it from a deeper position that might give this team a little bit better foundation going forward. And you know, when I look at what needs to be done ahead of next season? And, and we've got the CBA stuff that's off to the side that we don't really know how all that's going to go. We think we do, but we're not 100% sure. I think this team has to look for three things. I think it is uh, a number six who is a starter day in, day out. So you don't have changes in that position. We saw Lorenowitz, we saw Adams, we saw Rometty. Nobody really locked it down. Maybe Mo Adams did by the end, but then he got hurt. I think you need a, a number six to, to give this team an even stronger foundation going forward. I think you need um, a secondary goal scorer because you can't rely on Joseph to score all the goals. And I don't mean a backup for Joseph. I mean, you know, is that Jurgen Dom chipping in 10 goals? Is that a left winger if it's Barco or somebody else chipping in 10 goals? You need somebody else to score around 10 goals. You need some other threat other than Joseph. We saw that in 2019, where you didn't have that year from Tito Vialva in 2017, Miguel Almiron in 2018, where it took some of the weight off of Joseph scoring goals. And I think you need a leader on the field. You know, um, Jeff Lorenowitz in and out of the lineup, and he's a different kind of leader. He's more in the Michael Parkhurst vibe. Brad Gazan wore the captain's armband quite a bit in goal with a different mentality when your goalkeeper is your captain and is that vocal leader. You know, you need somebody on the field to be the one to grab this team by the back of the neck at times and keep that focus. And look, you mentioned it, I think you're dead on. When you look at 2020, it's easy to criticize for focus. You know, I mean, like you said, some of these guys haven't been home. We don't know what's going on at home for them. We all are dealing with a lot of madness in our day-to-day lives at the moment. Fernando Meza hasn't had his family here with him. I mean, there's so many different things that have made this difficult. So losing focus can happen, but you haven't had that player on the field who would grab this team and shake them up and say, all right, let's go. You needed that at times, you didn't get it. Those are the three areas that I think are on that punch list for 2021 for Atlanta United going forward. Obviously, the managerial hire, that doesn't even need to be talked about. It's on the field, the roster, those are the three areas that I think you got to address.
0: Now, this is – I think you're dead on on all that. It wouldn't surprise me if Mo Adams is not given a shot as the number one guy at the number six position. I thought before he got hurt in the last few games he's had, his last few starts, he played fairly well. Uh, much better than he did at the beginning of the season. Um, not an MLS best eleven guy, but I, I thought he was playing pretty well, all things considered. And so you can imagine uh, how that might progress as he gains confidence next Agreed. year. But I, I do think a number six is very, very important. I think it's important to go to move Barco on um, and get try try another left winger, uh, whether it's Gallagher or whether it's a DP, uh, whether it's Lopez. Right. Um, but the Barco situation had a lot of potential and a lot of promise, and it just had never worked out for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I tweeted, you know, just another Barco moment from this game. And I need to point out it was Barco's pass uh, that sprung Moreno on that first PK call that should have yep. happened that didn't happen. So Barco should get a lot of credit for that. Um, but there was another moment in the game where he, he was dribbling down the left side and he was kind of in a tight space with four defenders around him, and he was holding on to the ball, didn't have his head up, which I, I can understand because he's got four guys kind of around him, but then just kind of lost the ball. And, and I was like, that's just kind of, unfortunately, Barco's career with Atlanta United in a nutshell. Um, flashes of some good skill and then just no final result. Um, and I'm hoping that if Atlanta United does sell him, he can fulfill that potential and show – his quality because I do think he's going to be a good player. It's just not working out well for him at Atlanta United. Going back to your point about um, the guy who can shake some things up on the field. Way back in February, when the team was at um, IMG training, they were doing a foot volleyball game, and there were it was uh, teams of two, uh, I guess other teams of two, and they were in pools. And uh, Brooks Lennon was, I think, with Emerson Hyndman. And they were playing, and they appeared to be winning every game. But somehow, because of the bracket, they won their final game, but they didn't win the tournament. And when Brooks Lennon found out, he went volcanic. <laughs> that is how – I mean, I have never seen anything like this from a training exercise like that. That is how badly that guy wants to win. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he was livid. Uh, so he's still a young guy, you know, so probably wouldn't be named captain next year. But if he's a guy that you can pencil in, let's say it's a 34-game season again next year, if you can pencil him in 28 times, I could see him being considered perhaps for the captaincy, depending upon who else is on the field, simply because of the personality. Marcelino Moreno doesn't yet speak the language. I don't see him being captain. Juergen Dahm, we all know his personality. Don't see him being captain. Uh, George Bellow is still too young. Miles Robinson is still too quiet, I think, to be captain. Jeff Lorinowitz, we don't know if he's going to be here next year, if he's going to retire, what's going to happen. I would love to see Jeff return, but he wouldn't be an everyday starter. He wouldn't be captain. Maybe Joseph Martinez could be captain um, because he's also a guy who does not like to lose. Um, And he does speak the language, which is important as a captain. Um, And then we throw out Franco Escobar. He wants to be a leader on the team. I would still be surprised if he comes back um, for the reasons already stated, Uh, but it's going to be interesting. Um, It's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah. There's some decisions to be made. Um, Lennon and Joseph, drive to win even if they're not captains can be very important in being a needed element here that I think you know with with Brooks Lennon being in his first year with Joseph not here was missing this year Brooks Lennon will be able to take a little more of that leadership on in year two in Atlanta
0: and for all the people who banged on Lennon this year I mean can you imagine what his assist totals would be had Joseph been starting Because he put in so many good crosses this year, and there was just no one to finish them, And he probably would have had a few more goals, too, because as you start to respect the crosses, then he can take advantage of of that space to get into the box, like Gressel would do um, in his couple of years. But anyway, I think Lennon is, as you rightly pointed out, going to be a solid addition uh, for Atlanta United uh, for years to come. Um, So let's go over the final standings. In the East, uh, super quickly. Philadelphia wins the supporter shield with 47 points, a well deserved supporter shield for the Union and Jim Curtin. Toronto finishes second with 44. They've got some interesting decisions they're going to have to make in the offseason with a couple of key players. Columbus, uh, because it kind of fell off the pace at the last third of the season, finished third with 41 points. Orlando got nipped at the end by Nashville to finish fourth with 41. Today, by Nashville to finish with 41. NYCFC finishes fifth with 39. Red Bulls with 32. Nashville with 32. New England with 32. Montreal with 26. Miami with 24. Setting up a Nashville Miami playoff, which who would have thought that at the beginning of the year, or in a first playing game? And then New England and Montreal in what is going to be just a miserable, wintry, nasty game uh, because they don't play for another two weeks. Um, and now who's your predictions in those games?
1: Uh, Nashville and New England.
0: Because of the home field advantage?
1: Yeah, I think they're better teams too, but home field will help. Yeah.
0: Uh, the West is still uh, being contested uh, right now, so
1: we're not going to go into I'll that. give you my early MLS Cup prediction as we wrap up. Okay. Philadelphia and Portland.
0: Okay. I, that would be a fun, fun, fun. And who's your MVP? Oswaldo. It's still Pozuelo.
1: Yeah, he's carried that team, and they've had a lot of issues that he's had to carry them through. I think it's Pozuelo.
0: Yeah, I think he's going to get it simply because no one else really stands out. Philadelphia is such a good team. They don't have that one player that just kind of jumps to the forefront as the guy that should be named MVP, which is probably a credit uh, to the union uh, in that regard. Um, And you go through the list. Um, maybe Rui Diaz should get a few votes um for Seattle it's I guess Pozuelo is going to get it um Trino didn't exactly barnstorm its way to the finish though and he kind of fell off the map um but yeah I could I could see him winning um so what do y'all have upcoming Jason
1: we got overreaction Monday, tomorrow morning, nine o'clock. You can listen on the soccer down here app. You can listen on soccer down here.net. You can watch on twitch.tv slash soccer down here. We'll have soccer over there uh, at seven o'clock. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Madness in Spain with Real Madrid getting spanked by Valencia today. We had a Liverpool Manchester City one-one that I think's a good result for Liverpool. I don't know how Liverpool. Yeah,
0: I think it's a good result.
1: Yeah, I think you take that and you run. Um, Lots of stuff to talk about as we go into an international break, and that'll be at 7 o'clock in the evening. So it'll be all the Atlanta United and MLS reactions in the morning and all the international reactions in the evening.
0: Well, that sounds impressive.
1: It'll be fun, Um, kind of, sort of. (laughs)
0: All right, and I'm going to post this podcast, obviously, and then I'll have uh, uh, probably at least one story a day for the next three or four days. I'm hoping that Atlanta United uh, will have some availability with Darren Ills and Carlos Bocanegra by the end of next week so we can ask them some questions about some things uh, going forward. Um, But, Jason, I appreciate you coming on. I think you only missed one game. Is that right this year? I think so. Is that that correct? So who won – did you win the, the tiebreaker, DC, or was that me winning the tiebreaker with DC United making it in? Who was that?
1: Um, let's see. Well, it wasn't DC who got in. It was um, Montreal and Miami.
0: Montreal and Miami. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry.
1: And yeah. I don't think anybody did. I'll have to go back and listen to the tape.
0: Because I thought Montreal was not going to beat Cincinnati. Or I, saw, I didn't think Miami I didn't, was going to beat Cincinnati. Um, yeah. Well, that's a weird one.
1: Yeah, I'll have to go back and figure something out.
0: <laughs> All right. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson, AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Again, Atlanta United, season uh, ends with a 2 1 loss uh, here, or I'm sorry, in Columbus, uh, which is a cool little city if you've never gone. Um, they finished the season with 22 points, a 6 13 and 4 record, just 23 goals scored. I think that was second worst in MLS this year. Uh, Yep, second worst in MLS this year. 30 goals allowed, which is respectable, uh, for a minus seven goal difference, 4-4-2 at home, 2-6-2 away. But the important stat uh, this season was 0-13-2 when the opponent scored the first goal. Um, I hope you all voted. Uh, I hope uh, whoever you voted for, that we can all live with the election results and be our best to be productive uh, citizens um, going forward. And uh, I hope you're all safe and happy. This has been Doug Robertson with Southern Fried Soccer Podcast.